0: Hi, I'm Tony Hines and you're listening to the Chain Reaction Podcast all about Supply supply Chain Advantage. Hi, Tony Hines here. Glad you could drop by. Well, can you believe it? Here we are in February already. Christmas well behind us, and Christmas only less than 11 months away. Well, funny old world, isn't it? So, I hope you're going to enjoy this episode. It's one for everybody, and that includes students. Students interested in supply chain ought to be very interested in this topic, because it's about the external environment within which supply chains operate. And it follows on from systems thinking, which we talked about in a previous episode, and uh, it helps shape the environment in which those supply chains operate and what supply chain strategies need to take account of. So, hope you enjoy the episode. Now, if we think about the politics, we've done a great many episodes where we discuss the impact of political change on supply chains. So I don't want to spend too long talking about that today. But political change or such things as if there's a war, like in Ukraine, if there is policy response to a pandemic like COVID, if there are new tariffs that are placed on different countries or restrictions on the movement of goods, then those are usually political impacts, but they have an economic effect as well. And they will actually change the way in which the economics of supply chains work. Now that's important, because if we want to manage those supply chains and have strategies in place that maintain profitability, service to the customer, and generally have efficient and effective supply chains, then we have to be aware of those political and economic changes and shifts that are taking place in the world. Also social change will have a great impact on the way in which supply chains work. So people 10 years ago or more would not be expecting same-day delivery. They wouldn't be expecting overnight delivery. And they'd probably be waiting somewhere between three to seven days for even the most simple order, a replenishment item, a piece for a machine tool. They'd be waiting a period of time. But these days we expect those deliveries to come fast. And of course, because of that expectation, supply chains have geared up To deliver goods more quickly. Is there a cost to that? Well, there is. There's a cost, but there's also an organization and a system behind the supply chain that has to work differently. And so we need to think about that. But that's helped, of course, that kind of social change in the expectation of customers by technology. And the technology has moved quickly to adapt and be flexible, create visibility in supply chains, and to provide information at every step in that supply chain. So that's a big change, if you like, that happened over a reasonably short period of time. Now, I suppose a simple example that we'll all be familiar with from the recent past is the Humble Barcode. And if you look at the Humble Barcode, that was actually a real development to gain some visibility over the movement of goods through supply chains. Because it was cheap, it was effective, and you could place a barcode because of its size. It's just a small one-centimeter, couple of centimeters square piece that goes onto any item that you want to move. It can go on to a box. It can go on to a packet. It can go on a newspaper. it's on a book. It's on tins. It can go on labels. And that humble barcode gave the ability for many organizations to stay in control of the supply of goods, and to know where those goods were along the way, because a barcode reader at any point could tell you where the item was located. And it gave retail firms control, because retailers could replenish the stock using the barcode to tell them when they'd reached a point to reorder stock. So the reorder levels could be built around the technology that enabled them to place automatic reorders for goods. So, great piece of simple technology. E-A-N is the European Article Number, and it's an international standard adopted by many countries. And in the United States, they have the Universal Product Code, UPC. A barcode is a method of representing data in a visual, machine-readable form, and they can be placed on any items, as we've said. You'll see stripes down the barcode, with some numbers underneath and it's quite small in dimension. The width and the spacing of the parallel lines in the barcodes provide the data, and machines can read it so they can track goods. It was back in 1974 that barcode scanners were first used in practice. They're usually about 37 millimeters by 25 millimeters, that sort of size, so they're quite small in size. Of course, you can have them bigger, and you could have them slightly smaller. The point is they have to be read by the scanner. Woodward and Silver were the names of the two people who worked on the barcode technology and developed it, and when they did so, they based it on Morse code, so we're told. So uh, that's something, isn't it? Now I bet if you were to stroll over to your kitchen cupboards, there wouldn't be many items in there that wouldn't have a barcode on them. And even letters that drop through your letterbox will have some kind of barcode if it's a special delivery of some kind with tracking on it. They'll have barcodes on them, narrow ones admittedly. The retail standard is known as the EAN-13, and that's the normal barcode you would see on retail products. And they have specifications for these barcodes in multiples of magnification. And so you have to produce the barcode in print form according to the specifications given in the codes, and that should ensure it works with the point-of-sale scanners. An EAM barcode is designed to work with point-of-sale scanners. That's those things you see in supermarkets and other retail stores. Handheld devices as well. Then we had radio frequency identity tags. Slightly more expensive, not very, but slightly more, and they could be placed also on any item within items. You could put a an RFID tag in a an item of clothing, and track that item right through from its manufacture to its point of sale. So, again, a great development. But today we have those items still in place, but we have different ways, too, in which to create visibility in the supply chain. And at an aggregate level, that's through the computer systems that we have, and the tracking technologies with the number of sensors we now have at various places, including warehouses, ports... Retail stores, on road networks, the sensing technology can track the goods and precisely. The radio frequency identification tags, of course, work by wireless communication using electromagnetic or electrostatic coupling in a radio frequency portion of the spectrum, the electromagnetic spectrum. And that can uniquely identify an object, an animal, a person, whatever it is, with the tag. You need an antenna, a transceiver and a transponder to manage the RFID. And we have two types of readers, fixed readers or mobile readers. And a network of connected devices can be portable or permanently attached. And uh, we get the data or the information through the radio waves via the antenna. They rely on integrated circuits in the RFID. And there are two types of RFID. Active, which generates its own power source often a battery, or passive RFID, which simply pass through the antenna points. And it's the antenna that generates the current to do the reading. So you can have low-frequency RFID, works between 30kHz and 500kHz. You can have high-frequency RFID, UHF RFID, and microwave RFID. They're used to track pets, livestock, various inventory items, assets, Cargo, supply chain logistics, vehicle tracking, customer service, loss control, anything in the supply chain to get visibility. And various security situations They can be used on shipping, healthcare products, manufacturing, retail sales and of course tap and go credit card systems. A number of advantages have come with RFID technology and these are benefits which are improvements on barcodes. You can identify individual objects without direct line of sight, whereas a barcode you've got to be close up. You can scan items from inches to feet away, depending on the type of tag and reader, so it doesn't require close proximity for scanning. You can update the data in real time, which you can't do with a barcode. You can require a power source for the RFID tag, and there's no power source needed for a barcode. The read time is less than 100 milliseconds per tag whereas it takes about half a second or more for a tag to read a barcode. It contains a sensor attached to an antenna, which is often contained inside a plastic cover, and they are more costly than barcodes, which are simple prints on the outside of an object, but they are subject to work. You can often see in a supermarket, for example, a point-of-sale person having trouble scanning a barcode. And sometimes they have to tap in the code rather than scan the parallel lines. According to TechTarget, the global RFID market size in 2020 was about 10.4 billion US dollars, and it's expected to reach about 25.4 billion by 2030. It's regarded as an older technology now. It was developed in the 1980s and began to be used more widely as time passed by. The price for RFIDs has fallen over the past few decades. It can track real-time inventory, it's used for cargo movements, container movements, livestock movements, as we've said, and it can be used for sensitive materials, for example, manufactured drugs, vaccines, and so on. If you want real-time tracking, then RFIDs are a reasonably inexpensive way to do so. They're used in warehouse management, customer service operations, and in distribution. They're also used in cold chain management when uh, we have temperature-controlled goods moving through the system, and, of course, in fashion inventory management. It can reduce theft, and it can give visibility over the whole supply chain. Much of what we do today to track visibility of goods in the supply chain can be done on a smartphone. We don't always need dedicated handheld set, which was the case a few years back. But because of RFID, NFC and other technologies, we're now able to communicate using our smartphones. There are of course risks to doing so, and that involves possibility of data theft and privacy issues. And if you're thinking of doing that, you ought to read more about it to uh, protect yourself. There are other types of uh, technology that We use in supply chains, for example, fleet tracking technology to track the movements of trucks, rail cars, ocean-going vessels, and other modes of transport. They frequently use Internet of Thing devices, IoT devices, that report position of a vehicle based on global positioning software coordinates, GPS, and provide intermittent or real-time location updates. Now if you're not familiar with this type of technology, most people who've ordered goods maybe from a, an online retailer such as Amazon or someone else may well find that they can track their delivery to their home address through the smartphone. And you can look at a map, you'll be notified where your goods are and where the driver is with the van with your goods on it at particular times when it's getting near to your delivery time. So it's that type of technology that's used commercially for all sorts of fleet tracking. GPS IoT technology devices are also used for intermodal shipping containers to keep track of those. And then we have warehouse and storage tracking technology. These can be Bluetooth low-energy beacons for location tracking, the acronyms BLE for the Bluetooth low-energy or ultra-wide beacons for location tracking, known as ultra-wideband, UWB beacon technology. And then we've got the RFIDs that we just talked about, and we've got barcodes that we've spoken about. And then the supply chain tracking software, which can link to the various signals being received. All of these tracking technologies have transformed the way we operate our supply chains digitally, and they've changed the game for transparency and visibility within our supply chains. Now, it's no surprise that I've spent quite a bit of time talking about the technology that's enabled our supply chains to provide greater visibility of the movement of goods throughout the supply chain, throughout the whole network, throughout the system, from source to consumption. And that's some of the most visible and most useful technology That's been developed in the past few decades. And these things coming together through what we call Industry 4 and the Internet of Things, IoT, enables these devices to communicate seamlessly with each other without human intervention. And so that gives us the ability through GPS and the various technologies we've discussed to actually get the data on the movements as they happen in real time. So we're no longer guessing where things are. We know where things are if we use the technologies. And it's no surprise, I suppose, that supply chains have become more technology-focused. And it's essential for businesses to actually transform from those analog supply chains to this digital supply chain that we talk about constantly. So we need greater investment in that technology To receive the benefit, when we look at technology, we really are not buying the technology itself for any aesthetic or purpose devoted to the technology. We're buying the benefits that the technology can bring to our supply chain. And we have to stay focused on what it is exactly that we want to do in our supply chain to make sure that we invest in the right types of technology to bring the necessary benefits that we need in our own supply chain. We don't want to be sold the technology. We want to be informed about the benefits the technology brings. And we want to be sure that the investment we make is going to bring those benefits at reasonable cost and it's going to work with all the other technologies that we link to it. Quite often it's easier to purchase technology when you haven't got any because you're not trying to patch up Legacy systems. In other words, join pieces together that may not work as well as you'd hoped. It's much easier to start on a blank page. We don't all have that privilege, but we need to be very careful about making the investment. And we need to know from the organization that's supplying us what the technology can actually do and what we can expect it to achieve for our business. So stay focused on what you want. And all you guys out there selling the technology, stay focused on the customer. Stay focused on what the customer needs. After all, that's what supply chains are about. So I began the episode talking about supply chain pest. In other words, those political, economic, social and technological influences on the supply chain. And it's no surprise, I suppose, as the episode unfolded, that we spent a great deal of time on the technology. Because it's so important to how we manage supply chains these days. But we need to remember that supply chains take place in a broader economic system that has political influences. Governments make rules, change the way goods can be moved across borders, change the way regulations will be operated, tariffs, duties, and of course, they impact supply chains through disruptions that governments introduce. For example, in the case of COVID-19, when China locked down, massive disruption, when other countries locked down, massive disruption, it changes the economics, where the demand falls or rises when economies begin to reopen, puts undue pressure on supply chains. Supply chains are operating not normally, but they're operating at peaks and troughs that they're not used to, and that had to be carefully managed. And of course, didn't always work, because the Normal systems were so disrupted. So we've got this political influence, we've got the economics changing as a result of disruptions or as a result of other influences, such as the political influence and such as social change that we talked about and the way societies change what they value and the values that they have, as we've had more interest by populations in many countries, concerned over climate change, concerned about pollution concerned about all types of different influences in their lives, that changes what's bought, what's sold, what's supplied, what's demanded, and it changes the economics of the whole system. So again, social change can influence too the economics of the system. And of course, so too can technology. As we improve technologies, we can get greater visibility over our supply chains greater control over those supply chains it's still of course a physical process and not just a digital process we still have to move those goods by road rail sea and air uh, and as we do so it's the visibility that enables us to track and plan the movements carefully efficiently to serve the markets effectively and to satisfy that customer demand and so when it comes to thinking of the political, economic, social, technological shifts, it's very important that firms stay focused on what's happening around them, what the interconnections are, and particularly how those influencers are going to change what they will need to do to achieve supply chain advantage. Well, that's it for this episode. I hope you found it interesting and useful. And if there are any episodes that you've missed, drop by and pick them up. And have a listen, and I'll leave you with this thought. To create supply chain advantage, you have to stay focused on the customer. I'm Tony Hines, I'm signing off, and I'll see you next time. Bye for now. The Chain Reaction Podcast is presented, written and produced by Tony Hines. Hi, I'm Tony Hines. I'm here to tell you about the Chain Reaction Podcast, all about supply chain advantage.